Thanks, Paul. Good job. Come ye sinners, poor and needy. Thank you for playing that song. I don't know if you read the words to the song, what Paul was uh, playing, but I really, I really appreciated the words of the third verse. It says, Come ye weary, heavy laden, lost and ruined by the fall. If you tarry until you're better, you will never come at all. I thought, wow, that's a, that's a good line. So often we think we need to fix ourselves up before we come to God, but God's just waiting for us to respond. Thank you, Paul, for sharing that. That was a good song. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come into your house, to worship you, to lift up your name, and now, Father, to gather around your word. I pray that you'd open our hearts to understand and know the things you'd have us understand and know today. But, Father, more important than listening, more important than knowing and even understanding. Father, we want to put into practice the things that we hear today in the days to come. So help us to do that. Help us to apply your word to our very lives. In your precious name, we thank you for this opportunity. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Another beautiful day. And uh, the summer is going by too quickly for me. I can't believe it's already the second half of August, and I'm in full gear preparing for the fall ministry. Seeing Christmas tree choir practices are just around the corner. Yikes. If you haven't signed up yet and you're planning to do so, you better do that pretty quick. I already have over 50 registrations for the choir. The summer is just flying by. But uh, we did get some time away, my family and I. I was away from the office for three weeks, and during that time, we took a two-week road trip all the way to Washington, D.C. We spent the better part of three days in Washington and took in all the sights along the way there and back, and we had a great time, put on over 6,500 kilometers, over 4,000 miles, had a great trip. The GPS is a wonderful invention, and this is the third long road trip that I've taken in which I've used one, and it is wonderful having a GPS. I used to have a pile of maps right beside me in the van with each state or each province that we're going to go through and each city that we're going to be stopping in, but no more. I just plug in the destination and listen for the directions. I have it set to a lady's voice with a South African accent because she's more, she's more, <laughs> she's more soothing and sympathetic to my needs. I... Uh, I started out with the American lady's voice, but she always sounded mad at me, so I had to, I had to change that. Sometimes I'd look at the map anyway at the beginning of the day just to plan out during the day where I'd be going the general direction that I was going to be heading in. And then I would often be surprised that my GPS would take me on a slightly different route than I expected. But it always got me there, and often faster than the route that I would have taken. Sometimes, though, I'm sure the GPS is wrong because I'm a control freak at times and I don't like to make mistakes, so I question everything. And I said, I don't want to be wrong. And then I make everyone else in the vehicle edgy and uncomfortable. I usually start with Heidi. <laughs> I don't know about this. This doesn't feel right. Do you think we're going the right way? I thought that sign said turn here. Maybe the sign is wrong. Did the GPS mean this exit or the next exit? When she says turn here, does she really mean turn right here? Does she mean turn right here up there? I don't know about this. Maybe this is a brand new highway the GPS doesn't even know about yet. I don't remember this route even being on the map. And I get a little excited. And Heidi just keeps calmly saying, I don't know. I don't know. You just always follow the GPS and it's always been right before. 
And then the kids in the back get uncomfortable because they sense that we're getting edgy. And they tell me to just keep going. And they have their headphones on. They're not even looking out the window. They don't know where we are. How can they tell me where to go? And then in frustration, they tell me, just do what it says. And then everyone returns to their corners of the van in silence. And then the silence is broken by a South African lady telling me to turn left in 500 meters and we all arrive safely at our destination. Oh, if I just simply would have done what it said. How much frustration could I have, could have been avoided in, in those tense moments if I just would have done what it said? How many times have you said or done something before you actually thought about it? If you took a moment to reflect on all that you have done or said, perhaps even something you did or said as recently as this morning, my guess is there have been a lot of things done or said that you did not mean, or at least you thought very little about them before you said them. Perhaps there have been things said that you wish you could take back. If you had a rewind button on your life or an erase button that you could just push, you would use it. I'm sure there are things that all of us have said that we wish we just had never said them. And I'm sure there are things that we have done that we wish that we never did them. I also believe that as we look back at our lives, I'm sure we can see times where we wish we had done something. Perhaps we wanted to do or say something and and fear held us back, or we saw something that we needed to do differently, and instead of changing, we did things the same old way. Just because that was the way that we had always done them, and it was comfortable to us. I'm sure there have been times when we look back at our lives and we wish we had done something. Instead of doing something, we did nothing, and we regretted it later. This morning, we're looking at the book of James, and a few verses from James chapter 1. And and I often look at James when I want to read about the tongue and the words that we say and guarding our speech. But the most commonly used verses about the tongue are actually found in chapter 3. And in one place it says this, No man can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. But today I want to look at some reminders from chapter 1 of James. And in our passage this morning, the tongue is also spoken about, but not only the tongue, but also our ears and our actions too. And the message this morning is simple and to the point. It says, listen to the word and do what it says. Read the word, hear the word, and then do what it says. Do what it says. I pray that prayer often. I prayed it again this morning. God, may we listen to your word. May we be quick to put your word into practice. God, may we do what it says. I trust each time that we gather together to listen to the word of God, we realize that listening is only part of the job. Yes, we need to listen to the word of God, but more importantly, we need to do what it says. I hope that you never get tired of listening to the word of God. I hope that our ears never become dull to hearing the word of God. But more importantly, I hope that we never come to the place where we feel the Word of God is no longer applicable for our lives today. God's Word is still as relevant to our situation today as it was when it was first written. It's the only Word that we've ever been given. There is no other Word. There is no other guidebook. God never gave us another revelation of Himself. He never made any revisions to His plan. God didn't say, oh, by the way, what I said before, I'm changing that now. God doesn't change. And he never will give us another mandate to follow. The Bible that we have, this is it. I spent a week at our district family camp in July, and I was so encouraged by the morning Bible teacher. I could just sense his love and passion for God's Word. And his passion for the Word rekindled in me a longing to spend more time in the Word. Maybe it's time for us just to fall in love with God's Word again. 
The English language is one of the more difficult languages to learn, apparently, next to the Asian languages where there's a different symbol for every word. People who are trying to learn the English learn English as a second language, find a difficult language to learn. You only have to come to the lower auditorium at Calvary Temple on Tuesday nights starting September 25th where we have our EAL or English as an additional language program going on. And there you will hear newcomers to Canada and Brandon learning how to speak English. And it is challenging for many of them. They could use your help. You don't need to be an English teacher to help out on Tuesday nights. All you have to be able to do is speak English. In fact, if you can understand what I'm saying right now, then you're qualified. They could sure use your help. You see, in English, when we are learning to read or to spell, there are many different rules to remember. That's not the hard part. In English, there seems to be hundreds of exceptions to the rules that we need to also memorize, or our vocabulary would be very limited. Sometimes we have to choose our words very carefully because different words that sound the same can have several different meanings depending on the context that they're used in. Sometimes words may sound the same, yet will be spelt very differently. Sometimes we use different words to describe something, an object perhaps, and really the word means the same thing. But because we've used a slightly different word, that item now carries a different weight or a different value. Words are interesting. Some people are a lover of words. I am not. For me to write well in college and university and even now I'm preparing for a sermon or for a study, it's, it's often a lot of work for me. Ideas, they come naturally to me. But words to express those ideas are sometimes nowhere to be found. I've got to just churn them out. There has been uh, much said and written in regards to the tongue and our speech and the words that we use. The Bible is full of warnings against the improper use of the tongue. But this morning, I just want to focus in on one particular area. That being the things that we say and the things we hear, the things that we agree with and even believe in our hearts, but then we do nothing about them. James chapter 1, beginning at verse 19. If you're using the Bible in the pew rack, I believe it's 1172 on most page 1172 in most of those Bibles. I also have your the passage of Scripture written on an insert in your uh, newsletter today as well, if you wanted to pull that out to follow along, if that's easier for you. And we also have it on the wall behind me in just a moment. Please follow along. The New International Version, these paragraphs are simply entitled, Listening and Doing. It says this, My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. There's a lot in there. Verse 19 says, Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. The camp morning speaker spent the week teaching from the book of Proverbs. 
And this week, looking at these verses in James, I, I, was, I just felt like I was back there again. It feels like these verses could have been transplanted right out of Proverbs and into the New Testament. And verse 19 is a wise saying, just like from the Proverbs. James tells us to listen carefully what is being said and then move cautiously. There's a lot of wisdom in these verses. It's often humorous watching high school debate teams. They're to be quick-witted and good with their words. It's often not even uh, what they say, but how they say it, and whether or not they're convincing enough. And I'm sure we will get our fill of presidential debates and speeches over the next couple of months on our televisions leading up to the American election, and, and some of them may turn out to be just as humorous. Who knows? But when one team is obviously getting the upper hand in debate, the other team gets desperate and starts grasping at any words that it can. And some of the things that are said begin going around in circles, and I've watched as teams accidentally disproved their own theories. It can be very embarrassing. I've watched while one team member made a certain argument, and then a team member on the teammate from the same team goes up and says the exact opposite. I've watched as members get to the microphone, and all of a sudden you can tell their mind has just gone blank, and for the life of them they can't remember one single point that they were going to make. And often, soon after the debate is over, the losing team, when it has had its opportunity to collect all of its wits, suddenly remembers major points that it could have put forward that would have turned the tables, but because of the pressure of time and some foolish things were said. So when we engage in conversation with someone and a point of disagreement comes up, be careful not to jump on the other person with your words. You may regret what you say if you're too hasty. When someone proposes change... Be careful to hear them through. I know this is something that I have to be careful of in my own life. Maybe you're like me. Probably not. At least I hope not. I don't particularly like change. I like routine. It's the way I was brought up. I'm told that we as Canadians, even more so than people from other countries, are a group of people that do not like a lot of change. And especially if we've grown up in central Canada on the prairies like I have. We haven't been known for endorsing a lot of change over the years. We like things just the way they are. Thank you very much. But when someone does propose a change, we need to be careful to hear them through. Fully weigh out in your mind the words that are being said and then respond. Do not let your back get straight and the hairs of the back of your neck stick out while you blurt out some retort. Our passage says, rather, be slow to speak. And then it goes on and says, and slow to become angry. There is such a thing as holy anger. But for the most part, anger is not acceptable for the Christian because it too often leads to wrong thoughts and hasty actions and hurt feelings. Anger is an emotion that wants to well up within us during a disagreement. James says we need to be careful to speak and slow to anger. Anger should always be a last resort after things have been thought through thoroughly. And even then, rarely used, it is def- and definitely should not be a first reaction to something. This is further talked, of, talked about in verse 20. It says this, For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. God desires us to follow a certain standard of living. And the actions that are produced through anger, for the most part, do not line up with that standard. Then I began to wonder, well, if anger is just an emotion, why is it wrong? It's just an emotion. It's just a feeling, like being happy or or being sad. It's just a state of being. So why is this emotion wrong? 
The dictionary solved that mystery for me with its definition of anger. Listen to this, straight out of the dictionary. Anger, a feeling of displeasure resulting from injury, mistreatment, or opposition, and usually showing itself in a desire to fight back at the supposed cause of this feeling. So with that definition of the word anger, we quickly see how it's an emotion that doesn't line up with the standard of Christian living that God has called us to. The emotional feeling of anger has driven people to do incredible things and accomplish things that otherwise would not have been accomplished. But it more often than not has caused some pretty terrible things to occur. majority of the murders and other crimes take place because they are induced by anger or a fit of rage. God does not desire for us to fight back and get even with someone. God doesn't want us to act out of anger. What is it that God desires? Verse 21 shows us. It says, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. We need to get rid of the old and put on the new. A good passage to look at when talking about this is Romans chapter 6, where Paul speaks about crucifying and doing away with the old sinful self so that we're no longer slaves to sin and doing wrong. What is it that God wants? Well, we know that he does not want us to be angry. He does not want us to act selfishly. And selfish acts are often induced by anger. Rather, he wants us to be humble and put away our sinful ways and dig deeply into the word of God. If we desire to grow in our relationship with God, then all these things are a part of the equation. If we truly desire to become more like Christ, then we need to be willing to be molded and shaped by God. And he does this most often by revealing himself to us through the Bible, through his word. If we're not spending time with him and in his word, he has no other avenue to shape and mold us, and we will never change. The Bible is our standard. It's where we learn how to live a good life before God. If we're not into the Bible on a regular basis, how will we know how to act? We need to be accountable to each other in this regard because it's important. I've mentioned this before. When I was in youth ministry, we would break into small groups every week on our youth nights. And every week, the first question that the youth staff members asked the young people in their group was if they regularly spent time with God that week. You can ask Pastor Gary Jr. He was in the youth group back then as a, as a young person. That sounds very strange to me, just saying that out loud, because having him in the office now every day makes me feel very old. But he'd be able to tell you that every week he was asked that same question. Did he have his God time that week? Was he regularly in the book and getting to know the author of the book? And the reason why I asked the staff members to ask that same question to the young people week after week wasn't because I'm not very creative and just couldn't think of another good question to ask. I asked the question because I knew it was important, and it still is important. If we're going to turn our backs on the standards that this world holds up for us, for us how to live, then we need to be re- regularly reading the Word of God to understand His standard for our lives. And I know, I know 99% of the time, a person who's reading God's word every day will not fall away from the faith. 
when I hear of a person is struggling in their faith or walking away from their faith in God, you always see a pattern. And more often than not, the first thing that happened to, to begin their downwards spiritual spiral was they abandoned their time alone with God. They stopped spending time regularly in God's Word. We need to be accountable to each other to continue encouraging one another to be regularly reading and studying the Scriptures, the Word of God. We as a church, we will be challenging you to join a small group this fall. And one of the main purposes of a small group is spending time in God's Word and keeping each other accountable to His Word. So consider joining a small group this fall when those advertisements start up. Excuse me. Verse 22 goes on and says this, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Every time before I'm given an opportunity to preach, I ask God to help us not only be hearers of the word, but doers as well. Perhaps I've used different words or said it different ways, but I cannot remember a time that I preached the word of God where I did not ask for him to show us how it applies to our life. And I hope that prayer is not just vain repetition I hope we understand that. I hope that when anyone gets up here and shares from the Word of God, we realize it is just that. It's the Word of God. And I hope that we are willing to let our lives be affected by what it says, not just because of what I say or because of what anybody says from this pulpit, but because this is what the Word of God says. And if change is needed, may we be willing to change. If rebuke is needed, may we be willing to take it in stride and deal with it. If instruction is needed, then I pray that we are teachable. If correction is needed, I hope we're not too proud to receive it. When I finish hearing someone else preach God's word, whether it be Pastor Gary or anyone else that speaks from God's word, I ask myself, okay, now what is my takeaway What am I going to take from what I just heard today, and how does it apply to my life. I've just listened to God's word, so how is my life going to be changed because of it? I call that my takeaway. What's my takeaway? When we open the word in our daily times alone with God, are we expecting to hear from God? Do we expect to hear the voice of God? We should expect this, because this is how God speaks into our lives most often. He speaks to us through his word. There's an old adage that says a teacher has not taught until the student has learned. It doesn't say that the teacher has not taught until the student has listened because to a teacher that shouldn't be good enough. Listening isn't enough. Any good teacher knows the message of their lesson must enter into the, the hearts and the minds of their students and then be acted on. It needs to be put into practice. God doesn't desire for us just to be good attendees of Calvary Temple. God doesn't want us just to be good sermon listeners. God doesn't want us to know how many Bible studies that uh, we attend. God doesn't want to know whether you've read through the Bible in a year. As important as all those things are, what God wants to know is whether or not we are applying to our lives the things that we're hearing and reading from His Word. If we're not doing so, verse 22 says we're deceiving ourselves. We are fooling ourselves. We're pretending to be something that we're not. And our good church attendance and our daily Bible reading aren't doing us any good. We need to determine to apply <clears throat> God's Word to our lives. And that takes a lot of hard work. It takes daily discipline. 
may involve a whole change in our attitude and our approach to God's Word. We need to come to church expecting to hear from God and not surprised when God moves and speaks. We need to come expecting that. In verse 23 and 24, James gives us an illustration to help us out. It says, Anyone who listens to the Word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Hmm. So you get the picture now. James describes a man who looks in the mirror. And perhaps he's just got out of bed. His hair is a mess. Teeth are dirty. His face needs to be washed. He looks in the mirror. He sees himself. And he sees the things that need to be changed before he goes to work that day. Perhaps he even agrees with what he sees in the mirror. And he says to himself that he needs to change some of these things about himself. And then he puts down the mirror and he walks away. Now you would expect that the man would immediately want to change those things and get busy seeing that they're getting done. But the man in James's letter looks in the mirror, sees what a mess he's in, knows he needs to change, but then walks away and does nothing about it. It was as if he, for, he had forgotten what he looked like. When he put down the mirror, perhaps he thought he wasn't that bad after all. Perhaps he told himself, I don't really need to wash today. I don't need to comb my hair today. Then he walks by the mirror again and sees himself again. Whoa! And he realizes that he's wrong and that he does need to do something about it. He realizes he does need to change. But once again, as soon as he walks away from his reflection, he immediately forgets what he looked like and he does nothing. This has happened to me on occasion and it's frustrating when it happens. I'll be very tired in the morning and trying to get get myself to work, get to the office and... <clears throat> just about to turn to the church parking lot and I realized I forgot to comb my hair. Even after I saw myself in the mirror, I forgot to shave. And I just turn, have to turn around and go home and fix myself up before getting to work. Even though I had seen myself in the mirror, I forgot to do anything about what I had seen. Thankfully, that doesn't happen too often. Maybe you're thinking I forgot to comb my hair today and shave today. I didn't really forget to comb my hair. I just forgot to cut my hair. <clears throat> here, here in, excuse me, I'm losing my voice today. Sang too hard with Carrie. Excuse me. Here in James, he is saying that is how many of us are with the scriptures and what God tells us to do. We read the Bible. We hear a sermon. We attend a Bible study. We see an area in our, our life that we need to change. We know that some work needs to be done to change it. So we find a quiet place and agree with God for what needs to be done in our lives. And the Holy Spirit can be just at work tugging at our hearts and revealing to us stuff that needs to be dealt with. And right then and there at that moment, it is plain as day what needs to be done in our lives. But we get up and we leave that place where we met with God or we get up and we leave from hearing the word of God and we think to ourselves, I wasn't really that bad. I don't really need to change that aspect of my life. I I don't really need to do that today. And then perhaps we read the scriptures some more and again we see how we need to change and we're repentant and we decide that work needs to start right away in our lives but then we, we still walk away and we do nothing about it. It's as if we had forgotten totally what our lives looked like. And verse 25 follows this illustration up. It says, But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. I find my memories getting shorter and shorter. 
Just a little while ago, I had finished filling up my vehicle with gas, and I went to pay, and I'm a debit and credit card user, and my debit and credit, uh, I use my debit and credit cards for, for everything. I don't, I don't carry cash. And for the life of me, I couldn't remember my PIN number. I've had the same PIN number for nearly 25 years. I use it, I use one of my cards almost every day, sometimes several times a day, and I couldn't remember my number. My mind just went blank. I was very embarrassed. But God tells us that if we look intently into his word, if we listen intently to his word and decide to remember to put into practice, we will be blessed in what we do. Do you want to be blessed of God? Do you want to be happy today? Of course we do. Then look intently into God's word and take a look at your life and see what needs to be done and then decide to do something about it. There's a time to listen, to reflect, to assess the situation, but then there eventually comes a time when we need to get up and just do it. We have this strange idea of how God works in our lives. When we meet with God, whether it be at an altar in front of the church or in our bedrooms or the park or some quiet place where you get alone with God and we repent of our actions or we spend some time in prayer and and listening to His voice and we get this sense of what the Holy Spirit is prompting us to do, the work doesn't stop there. It isn't like you've been zapped by God and you no longer have a will of your own. And some unseen cosmic energy, you are forced to do the things that you decided to do in that moment. There's just no controlling yourself anymore. You're going to get up and be changed. It doesn't always work that way. Remember as a youth praying that God would help in a specific area of my life, getting up and, and feeling really good inside that somehow I was different. But two weeks later, I found myself praying about this very same thing, wondering why God hadn't done his work in me like I thought he had two weeks ago. And I learned that when we choose to set aside a place and meet with God, wherever that may be, some real work may be done and our life may be changed right there in that moment. But the real test of how committed you are to what took place when you spend time with God is how you decide to live once you get up. The real change is exhibited after you leave your quiet time and quiet place and are outliving your everyday life. We can come to church and hear the word of God. We can even have a daily regular plan of reading God's word. But the real test of whether or not the word of God is finding any root in our lives is how we act when we get up and leave the house of God. Are we putting the word we hear and read into practice? If we want to be blessed of God, if we want to be happy, then I assure you the way of happiness is to be doers of his word and not hearers only. And not just doers of the parts of God's word that we like, the parts that come natural to us or the easy parts, but rather all of what scripture says, including the changes we need to make in our own lives. We are accountable for what we hear, what we read, and what we learn. And if you do not want to deal with what James has to say, then you need to stop listening right now. Plug your ears. Because as soon as you listen to his words, you're accountable to change if necessary. You're accountable to obey the word and apply it to your life. You are now accountable for what you're hearing right now. Verse 26 is talking again about the tongue. It says, if anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein in his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. It says, if someone considers themselves religious, and by religious they mean someone who does an outward act. They do things that would make them a good citizen, a good person. They, you can, they can list all, to you, all the good things that they're involved in. They may be the most busy people around. But the Bible says that all their good works are in vain if they cannot control their tongue. And all the good things they do are pointless if they can't keep their speech in charge check. The tongue is the hardest member of the body to control. And we come back full circle to where we started from this morning and ask ourselves how many times that we've said or done some things without thinking. 
Or how many times we've said and done something and then not followed through on it. Do we realize that that too falls under controlling the tongue? If you said with your mouth that you'd be committed to something and then you not follow through, you would have been better not to have said anything at all in the first place. Verse 26 must not be taken by itself though. This next verse says this, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after the orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself from being polluted by the world. James here is not giving a concise definition of Christianity. Rather, he's stating that true religion, the kind that is acceptable to God, does not consist of punching a time clock with God. There, I've done my quiet time today. Punch. There, I went to church today. Punch. There, I spent ten minutes in prayer today. Punch. Rather, true religion is the kind that needs that sees the needs of people around him and meets those needs. It's the kind of religion where a person will not just read the scriptures or just listen to the word of God, but actually do what it says and apply the word of God to their lives. The Jewish Christians who made up the majority of James's audience were caught up in reading the word for the sake of reading the word. They were caught up in doing traditional rituals for the sake of doing traditional rituals. They did not understand the importance of putting into practice what they read. They didn't understand that what they read and heard needed to be applied to their lives. We can find ourselves very busy and caught up in the regular routine of life, even the regular routine of church life. And yet we can miss the simple truth that our relationship with God is not to be directed by a list of do's and don'ts or a to-do list or a time card that needs to be daily punched in and out. Our relationship with God and how we are to conduct our lives with one another is outlined in His Word. We need to read it, hear it, be changed by it, and then do what it says. God's Word is a lot like my GPS leading me all the way to Washington, D.C. and back. Sometimes I doubted it. Sometimes I didn't always understand where it was taking me. Sometimes I would have probably chosen a different way myself. But it was always right and got me exactly where I needed to go. And there were times that I could have saved myself a lot of grief if I had just listened to it and then did what it said. We've heard from the Word of God today. We've looked verse by verse the second half of James chapter 1, and now we simply ask ourselves a question, what am I going to do about what I've just heard? Are we going to chalk it up to another church service that we've attended? We're going to do what the Word of God says. What's your takeaway today? Let's pray. Worship team, you can come as I pray. Father, we're so grateful to be found in your house today opportunity to worship you, to gather together with, other, with others and fellowship with one another. But Father, we've also looked at your word. And Father, you've asked us to, when your word is open, when it is read, when it is studied, when it is meditated on, you want us to, to live out those things that, that we hear. So Father, I pray that those things that we've heard today, we would be quick to put into practice in the days to come, in the weeks to come. Father, I pray I, I pray for us as a congregation. A week after week when someone gets up here and speaks your word, whether it's Pastor Gary or any other speaker, Father, I pray we will recognize it as your word. We'll be quick to put it into practice. Father, as we enter into another year of ministry just around the corner, as we enter all fall ministries, and we hear challenge after challenge from your word, Father, I pray that we would put it into practice. We would be a people that wouldn't be just good listeners, not just good understanders. We wouldn't have a, a list of all the things that we know about your word, but Father, we'd be quick to put your word into practice. 
Father, thank you for the free opportunity we have to look in your word. Thank you that you gave us your word. Revealed yourself to us so we know how to live. Help us to live by your word today. In precious name, amen.